Welcome to STG, a podcast about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, 17 goals adopted by the United Nations General Assembly on 25 September 2015. The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, a plan of action to transform our world for people, planet and prosperity, was adopted at a UN summit gathered for the adoption of the post-2015 Development Agenda. All 193 member states of the United Nations unanimously committed to implement the plan to achieve the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and 169 targets over the next 15 years. The goals encompass a determination of ending poverty and hunger, ensuring humans live in dignity and equality in healthy environments that protect the planet from degradation through sustainable consumption and production, urgent action on climate change, supporting the needs of present and future generations. They foster peaceful, just and inclusive societies living prosperously. I'm your host, Dominic Billings, and in this episode, we're joined by Professor John Thwaites, who boasts a very impressive CV. John Thwaites is currently the Chair and Professorial Fellow of Monash University's Sustainable Development Institute, Climate Works Australia, and also Behaviour Works Australia. John is also Chair of Melbourne Water and a Director of Fair Trade Australia New Zealand. John is the Chair of the National Sustainable Development Council, which has been developing the Transforming Australia SDGs Progress Report, which was first issued uh, two years ago in 2018. We'll be speaking with him predominantly about the 2020 update of the Transforming Australia Report, for which John was the principal lead of that particular report and you can read that report at sdgtransformingaustralia.com. John Thwaites is also a co-chair of the Leadership Council of the UN's Sustainable Development Solutions Network, otherwise known as the SDSN, launched by the Secretary-General of the United Nations to provide expert advice and support to the development and implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals. The Lancet COVID-19 Commission, one of the preeminent global bodies created, creating pardon me, solutions to the pandemic, recently also appointed John as one of their commissioners. And in politics, John Thwaites was also Deputy Premier of the Australian State of Victoria from 1999 until his retirement in 2007. Within that role, he held the ministerial portfolios, including health, planning, environment, water, and has the honour of being Victoria's first minister for climate change. Let's hear from John now. Firstly, John, thanks so much for um, for everything you've done as part of the um, the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, um, particularly um, with Monash Sustainable Development Institute um, as the anchor of the Australia, New Zealand and Pacific Network, um, part of the SDSN. Um, obviously, we're chatting today because um, MSDI has released uh, Transforming Australia, a um, report um, getting up to speed where, with where Australia is at in terms of the SDGs. Um, so, John, I tend to think of Australia as languishing um, with the environmental SDGs, um, but prospering with the economic goals. And what I found, one of the most things I found most striking about the Transforming Australia report was how woeful a picture it portrayed of the, of the reality of Australian socioeconomic life. That was something I probably wasn't expecting to come out of the report, but obviously the, um, the data is there. Um, some of the indicators off track included um, inadequacy on welfare payments, elevated levels of psychological distress, high household debts, high rent burdens, homelessness, underemployment, and also victims of sexual assault. And obviously many of those topics were neg- negatively affected by COVID. Do you see um, COVID as both a driver 
which has been compounding those issues, but also on the other hand, an opportunity to address some of those shortcomings, seeing as uh, they're so obviously in the public eye now and perhaps experienced more broadly among the broader population. Has had a negative impact on uh, women, on young people and on lower income households. And from that point of view, it's exacerbated pre-existing inequalities. So I think we've got to see COVID as a huge challenge, but also there are some opportunities. And one good thing about the COVID pandemic has been in which Australians have come together, largely collaborated to respond to the health demands of the pandemic and largely relied on expert health advice on the science. And we've shown that when we do that, we can have huge achievements. And Australia is performing better on COVID than most countries in the world. And I think we can learn from that as we meet some of these other challenges that we've highlighted in the report, like climate change and embedded inequality. Yeah, um, another, Yes, issue that I probably wasn't expecting Australia to stand out in was that um, we're off track in investment in knowledge-based capital, which obviously has flow-on effects to um, the resources that are made possible to even capture the data for the Transforming Australia report project. And a lot of the work I imagine um, the Monash Sustainable Development Institute's doing, what, it's probably a bit of a qualitative um, question, but what would you attribute to Australians' uh, reticence to not invest more in, in R&D? This is really one of the most shocking findings in the report, I believe, hmm. that for a country that is so advanced and put such a high priority on education, that we invest less in knowledge-based uh, capital than most of our comparable countries. Um, now, when we say invest in knowledge-based capital, we mean things like in IT, in human capacity building, uh, research and development. So in those things that build up knowledge in the community that are very much the core of the, the knowledge economy, which is the future economy. Uh, we spend much less on that, for example, than most European countries, but also much less than the United States. And the disturbing finding in the report is that our expenditure on research and development, for example, is actually reducing now. Uh, we're spending less now than we were five years ago, and we're spending considerably less than the OECD average. So in Australia, we're spending about 1.79% of GDP on research and development. The OECD average is 2.4%. And that's a significant difference. Mm. Unfortunately, that's gonna mean we're not gonna be as prepared as we should be for the future economy, which is based on knowledge, digital technologies, and human capital. I suppose, like you mentioned, um, the knowledge-based um, capital indicator was probably one of the surprises, but I suppose one of the indicators which was less of a surprise was um, the continued prevalence of obesity, which um, as the Transforming Australia report indicated was about a third of the population. Um, I just wanted to ask you, firstly, kudos on, um, on your role as commissioner um, on the, um, the Lancet COVID-19 commission. That's a very prestigious role to hold, so congratulations. But I was curious whether 
um, the, the slow moving nature of um, an epidemic such as obesity, whether at the level of the, um, the, the Lancet COVID-19 commission, whether there'd been um, much discussion as to the relation between uh, obesity and a fast moving um, pandemic, um, infectious pandemic such as COVID-19 has have the interplay between um, those two been discussed at that level of the commission? There has been some discussion of that and there's certainly been some evidence that uh, obesity is a risk factor for those who are infected with uh, COVID-19 and can lead to you know, higher cause of mortality or morbidity as a result. Mm. So, so certainly obesity is a risk factor for COVID as it is for numerous other conditions. And that's a real concern because the, the health story in Australia is generally a very positive one. Yeah. Uh, we've seen increasing life expectancy. Our life expectancy has actually increased more in Australia than in most comparable countries. We're now sitting on life expectancy of you know, around 83 years which is one of the top in the uh, OECD. So we're doing generally very well. Obesity is this sort of black mark that uh, we have. And it's something that if we're not careful, we'll turn around that very good result we've had to date. So much of the improvement in life expectancy has been linked to better healthcare, to access for all to healthcare that we have here that they don't have in for example, the United States. Yeah. But in the future, uh, healthcare itself isn't going to be enough. It's how we take care of ourselves. That is how healthy we are, what our well-being is, our mental health. And so what we need to look at is some of these non-communicable diseases. And that's somewhat ironic at a time when we're all focused on the first major infectious disease that's affected my life and yeah. probably most people's lives in a really big way. But the non-communicable diseases uh, linked to things like obesity are the sort of ticking time bombs that are going to potentially lessen life expectancy and certainly increase ill health into the future. Mm. Another goal, another one of a couple of indicators that um, fell under SDG 10, reducing inequality, both in the Transforming Australia report, which you've just released, and also the, um, the, the broader SDSN's um, SDG index. I'm conscious that um, in the Gini coefficient for um, both reports and, um, and the upper two quintiles um, in uh, net worth that uh, were off track in, in both of those. And it strikes me that um, I'm not sure whether it's a symptom of the media narrative, but do you think, again, this is quite a qualitative question, but would you say that um, recognition of that trend towards inequality, again, um, we're familiar with that in the US, but I tend to less associate it with um, Australia unless I see those, those stark um, indicators um, exhibiting that we're off track. Do you, do you feel like it's underrepresented in a, in a more public space like the media, for instance? It's a mixed bag and certainly some elements of the media have highlighted inequality, but I don't think there's a full realization of the extent or what the real focus of that inequality is. 
Australia hasn't done too badly in terms of income inequality. It hasn't improved, but it hasn't got a lot worse. Where we've really got a lot worse is in terms of net worth or wealth. How much of the total wealth of Australia is owned by different segments of the population. And the bottom 40% of the population now only own about just over 5% of the total wealth. And that's come down very substantially in the last uh, 20 years. So it's really in, in access to wealth. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters first, of course, because it's unfair and inequitable, but it is wealth that gives people access to funds that they might need it if they have a rough patch, uh, if they're unemployed for a period, rather than just living hand to mouth. So while incomes haven't shown a huge increase in inequality, wealth has and i think we've got to really focus some of our policies and strategies on that mm. now unfortunately we're doing some things that are probably going to make that worse uh, the fact that people were able to access their superannuation during COVID uh, seemed like you know a good idea at the time but it means for the lower income people who did that they're going to have significantly less wealth that they can call on in future years mm. Similarly, I think a lot of our policies around housing are very much focused on people who already have a house and protecting them. Uh, and some of our social security uh, policies are very focused on that. Whereas people who don't have a house, they don't have an asset, for their renters largely, are losing out. And another thing that we point out in the uh, in the report, the Transforming Australia report is that lower income renter households are now paying a greater proportion of their income on housing costs. Um, we're seeing more and more of those lower income renters uh, paying more than 30% of their income on housing costs. Yeah. So I think the big story here is about uh, wealth and, and assets and how we can make that fairer mm. across the community. Just, I suppose the following question is a bit more of a question of your personal opinion when you just kind of, you feel like you take the pulse um, of Australia. I know you've been Deputy Premier of um, the State of Victoria in the past. And I guess coupling that with knowing that the, um, the federal government haven't seemed to have fully embraced the SDGs or the Paris Agreement um, for that matter. Do you, uh, do you feel optimistic about the decade ahead? Um, and, or instead do you feel like, um, institutions like the SDSN and um, Monash Sustainable Development Institute, do you feel like more, they're more the key drivers of Australia shifting and having a greater consciousness of the SDGs to, um, to reach the goals? Are you talking generally or in relation to climate change? Um, I, I suppose both, both the S, probably more looking toward the SDGs by 2030 in contrast to let's say like a, a decarbonisation by 2050. So, like a lot of things, it's a mixed bag. And I believe that there are some positive signs. As I said, the response to COVID in Australia has been pretty good. The immediate economic response by the federal government was appropriate. And the fact that um, JobKeeper uh, was at a reasonable level across the whole community and JobSeeker was increased uh, well beyond Newstart 
were all very positive policies. What's depressing is that the federal government seems to be turning back from those uh, good directions and now threatening to go back to the old totally inadequate level of new start, which will put tens of thousands of people below the poverty line. So I think that's you know, where I say there've been some green shoots of hope, but what we don't want is for them to be snuffed out. Across other SDGs, we're seeing, I, I think, uh, good efforts in health, in education. Uh, we're certainly seeing uh, attempts at improving areas in the economy. Where we're really seeing very little substantial progress at a national level, at least, is in climate change. Mm. And the reality is our emissions as a country today are pretty much the same as they were in the year 2000. We've, we've improved very little since then. There have certainly been some positive steps in renewable energy for electricity. And so we're seeing now more than 20% of our electricity is renewable. But in transport and industry, there's almost no step forward at all. So if you ask me, am I optimistic? I see some positive signs, but I'm not optimistic that we're going to be anywhere near the targets that we need if we're going to have the sort of healthy society, the safe environment that we need and that are set out in the sustainable development goals. Mm. Well, I'll make this um, question our final one, John. Uh, in the past few years, um, obviously, you've taken on the, um, the role as uh, the head of Monash Sustainable Development Institute, which um, when the SDSM was established, became the I might have mentioned at the beginning of the, the show, um, uh, the anchor of um, the, uh, the SDSN for this region of the world, Oceania. Um, and obviously you've taken on the commissioner role of um, the Lancet COVID-19 commission. And also you're the co-chair of the, the worldwide um, SDSN leadership council. I guess like from the point where you left politics um, and took on the role of um, head of um, MSDI and also the head of Climate Works. So to kind of reach where you are now, on I guess again, just on a very kind of personal human level, what's what's kind of been that experience to be working alongside the people that you are, who are preeminent in the field um, of sustainable development? What's I guess what's kind of been the um, the emotional or, or lifestyle trajectory life trajectory of of realizing that? If you ever do smell the roses, inspiring to be around people who are very smart, very knowledgeable, and very passionate about sustainability and sustainable development. Politics uh, was you know, very different, obviously. The great advantage of being in politics is that you can do stuff. I mean, it, mm. it's where the power is. And to a degree, it's sometimes frustrating uh, in academia or outside government that you can't implement the things that you think need doing. But on the other hand, you have a lot more time to really learn from others and to get the best ideas, whereas in politics, you're so time poor that you have to jump at a solution uh, probably too fast most of the time. So it's just a very different lifestyle and a very different one of the, some of my practical experience in politics to the work of 
academics and others who have like so I, I see my role really as a bridge between the two using my background in politics but my current job embedded in a university mm. to help bring those two cultures together Beautiful. again john really appreciate your time especially in light of um carrying on all those um, really important roles so yeah thank you so much john really appreciate your time and yeah, thanks for everything you do